I knew where I was and what I wanted to do and I did not know how I was going to get there. And that was the murkiness for me. And then somehow I got the idea to just take the first step. Hello, you are listening to the Late Bloomer Living Podcast, and I'm Yvonne Marchese, your host. This week, we're talking to Shulamit Berlevtov, who started her master's in counseling and spirituality as a mature student with a goal to finish before she turned 50. And, well, she did it. A few years later, she founded a holistic clinic in a small rural town, which is now thriving. And today, she works as a mindset consultant, helping women business owners stay sane as they ride the emotional roller coaster of running a business. When I met her, she told me, all my life, I had wondered what I was here for, but it only became clear in my 50s. I can't wait for you to hear how she did it. Let's go. Hey, Shuli, thank you so much for being here with me. Hi, Yvonne. This is the highlight of my day. I've been looking forward to this. Oh, that's very cool. Very cool. Um, So I met you. I just want to let people know how I found you. I found you through the What Works Network, which I always Mm -hmm. love to give that a heads, like a little little shout out. Oh, Um, sure. I I ditto that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, It's a great it's a, it's been a great uh, resource for me. So just a little shout out to Tara McMullen and what works. <laughs> um, so what I wanted to do is talk to you today about your, about where you've been and where you're going um, with your private practice um, and what happened for you to lead you to becoming a, uh, a social worker and therapist counselor. Mm-hmm. How would mm-hmm. you, how would you define yourself again? Well, I would say now I'm a mindset consultant. Okay. And a psychotherapist. Okay. Yes. Great. So what led you down that road? I know you came to it late. I did come to it late. Uh, well, I came to it early, but then came back to it late. Oh. I started school in social work in like, like I was 19 or 20, um, but got diverted And in my 40s, I was working as a translator, which is one of my childhood dreams I had. Well, I had wanted to be an interpreter, actually. I thought United Nations interpreter, accompanying, you know, officials. For some reason, I had in my mind Russia. I don't know why. Um, But what I ended up doing was uh, translation, which is documents and typing on a computer. And I, you know, it's a very high rate of uh, keyboarding. Uh And... uh, I developed a repetitive strain injury in my back and the pain was, you know, really in severe. It was quite severe. And I had tried everything to try and, you know, different chairs, different ergonomic setups, different kinds of treatments, chiropractic, different stuff really. But the truth that I didn't want to face was that my body did not want me to be doing this work. And until I stopped keyboarding, Mm -hmm. And stop sitting for so many hours, nothing was going to change. But it took me a long, because I really fought against that realization. Yeah, because it was your, it was your, it was your income, right? It was right. 
Yep. Yeah. And I had, I, I didn't have a translation degree. So I had fought long and hard to become certified, which is the, you know, not very common that people without translation degrees become certified. I was very proud. It was a lifelong dream. You know, it was a big deal that I, that I was now doing translation and I was uh, a senior translation. Is it, so no, it was French to English. French to English. Okay, gotcha. Yes, never <laughs> Russian. Yeah. Um, and I was proud of myself and I'd worked long and hard at the company and I had a senior position. It was very, I was, I was telling myself the story that I couldn't let this go. That mm-hmm. how was I going to, at 40 something, leave this job and start again? Yeah. That's a huge, right? Yes. That is so yep. such a scary proposition. It was a frightening proposition. And so I limped along in pain for a long time, not oh, knowing how, how to solve that problem. Oh, let me see. Probably like I was in pain from the start, but it was less, um, probably four years of really intense Oof. pain. Yeah. Wow. Yep. And so... You know, you just go low. When you're in pain and your body hurts, you go lower and lower and lower and lower. At least that's what happened to me Mm -hmm. until, you know, something just, I I don't even know how it happened. I would like to, especially since this is a late bloomer podcast and it would be important to share what happens that um, for inspiration for folks who are listening. Mm -hmm. And yet there, I, you know, it's, it's like the mystical experience. It's hard to put my finger on what happened. Specifically. I think that's common. I think it can be really murky and yeah. that the process isn't overnight. It, it really can be. I mean, for me, um, I'll just say for my own journey, I had five years where I had given up my theater career. I mm-hmm. was a new mom and that was all I had ever wanted. And all of a sudden it was like, I didn't know where I was headed from there. And it really took me five years of, of just not knowing and, and just feeling stuck and not knowing what was next um, before I stepped into doing photography and took that journey head on, you know, but it was murky in the meantime. I think that's really normal, you know? Yes. What was murky for me? So part of the picture when I was doing translation is on the side, I've become a certified yoga teacher, a certified focusing teacher and guide, a certified trainer in nonviolent communication. And I had always on the side done work in the realm of personal transformation and both. And peripherally, of course, mental health, because people come to yoga, you know, often because they have depression or anxiety or whatever. Gotcha. So, and I had always wanted to do uh, a graduate degree. Even when I was 19, 20, I had in my mind, the idea that I wanted to go all the way academically. Uh, But I encountered a lot of barriers as many women do, you know, uh, being a woman and not being encouraged, not having the financial capacity, having a spouse who didn't back it, getting pregnant, all the different things that happened to women, right? Uh So I knew what I wanted to to do. What was murky for me was the how. And I love how you use the word murky because the image that comes to my mind, if you, if you want to take, like, if you want to just kind of imagine, it's like, you know, when you're in a lake mm-hmm. and the bottom is kind of sandy yes. or silty and you're yes. in that water 
and there's the lily pads coming up the side and there's like sometimes dead logs in the water and you're swimming and the swimming kicks up the silt, mm -hmm. right? And so that's very much, I like that you use the word murky because it was very much, I knew where I was and what I wanted to do and I did not know how I was going to get there. And that was the murkiness for me. Mm -hmm. And then somehow I got the idea to just take the first step. Mm. Yeah. To just do one thing, one doable thing. And so I took my first class. There you go. Did you, so when you say you took your first class, did you enroll to in a full-time program right away or did you dip your toes into a class to see where it went? So I looked at, I, I couldn't travel. I needed to take the program, a program that was local to me. And there were two master's level counseling programs available. And I looked at them both. And looked at the uh, conditions for acceptance. And one said, you have to take X number of credits, undergraduate credits, before we will consider your application. Mm -hmm. And the other one said, we'll give you a conditional admission, conditional upon completion, X number of credits at X uh, grade. Mm -hmm. And I went and I like, I did not want any more random undergraduate credits. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go with the program that I had wanted to go with from the first, but that showed faith in me by admitting me conditionally. Oh, uh, yeah. And once I got the conditional admission, so the very first step was just applying. Mm -hmm. I just applied. Yeah. And then second, and then when I got accepted, I was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? Like, I can't leap out of work and go to school full time. I don't have the money. I can't pay my bills. What am I going to do? And that was when, okay, so I'm just going to take the next teeny tiny itty bitty little doable step, mm -hmm. which was taking one of those prerequisite credits. There you go. It all starts with baby steps. Yep. Yep. So you took that first class and then what happened? Oh, oh well, I got really excited <laughs> and I still couldn't leave. I still couldn't like leap out of this. So um, it took me six years to do a two year program <laughs> because uh -huh. I was part time and I had credits that I had to do first. Mm -hmm. um, and I just every semester took a credit. Every semester took a credit. Um, it was, I felt so proud, happy of myself when I sent in my qualifying stuff and they said, yes, you're admitted. That was exciting. Yeah. And motivating. Absolutely. Right. Because as you have, that's the beauty of teeny tiny little doable steps is that they give you the story. You can tell yourself of, I can do this. Right. And so, so I think also we're always looking for somebody else to kind of say, to give us permission. Yes. Right. And, and so, but, but you gave the permission to yourself first. Yes. Which is, I think super key is, is not waiting for somebody else to give you that permission. But what you did is you stepped in and you earned it. And then somebody said, okay, yes, now we, now you have our permission right? Yes. Yes. That's fantastic. And I think another, like building on that, in order to take the really big leap of going 
officially into the master's program part-time, mm-hmm. um, it required a commitment of time money. And I remember like the summer before the September when the program first started part-time. So I was still working full-time and I was going to be going to school part-time. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to pay for this? How am I going to manage this? How am I going to? And my beloved husband, like if it weren't for him, saying to me, just take a step, just one day at a time. And he's in recovery. So, you know, he shared with Mm. me so much of the lessons of recovery. And one day at a time is really like a very fundamental recovery principle. Mm. Uh, And I must say that his he was like, and we would get, so I got into September and I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can afford this. I don't know if I can pay for this. And he's like, you don't have to make the decision today. You just have to do the work today. Today's not the day to make the decision. You can do one more day, right? And having someone cheer me on and to say, you can do this. You can do this. You can do this. Yeah. It's risky. It's scary. You can do this really, because uh, I had attempted to do a master's degree twice before this in an unsupported environment. Mm-hmm. And it didn't work because it was a big risk. It was a big leap. And I think having people to cheer you on, mm-hmm. in particular, if it's your beloved, you know, yeah. really, somebody shines a mirror or, or holds a mirror up to you and tells you, you can do this. Yes. I believe in you, even when you don't necessarily believe in yourself. So it's a combination, right? Like we do have to give ourselves the permission. Somewhere in myself, I had to find in myself the belief that uh, it was possible at least to take the first, the next right step. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the day-to-day, right, having a cheering section really matters yeah. when you're trying to do something hard. It really does. It really does. And I will say I've been fortunate in that way too. Uh, My husband was really key in helping me um, step into doing photography because literally I I, I started it because I got laid off from a job. Um, And, and it was 2008 during the economy. Oh dear. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember coming home, I, I, people have listened to this before. I've heard the story before, but it might be new to some people. Uh, I, I basically came home and I was like, what am I going to be when I grow up? I, you know, I'm in my forties. I, I don't know what I'm doing. And he was like, just go to bed, sleep on it. You know, it'll be okay. And I literally woke up in the morning and, and looked at him and I was like, photography, I, I want to. <gasps> no way! I seriously did. I don't wow. know. Wow! Happened overnight. I really don't. What a good story. Yeah, and all I had was a little point and shoot camera that I had been trying to take photos with, with really unsatisfying results. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing, but I never had wanted to be a photographer for as a profession before. That was never something that occurred to me, and huh. it literally was like a flash. And and bless him, he was like, okay. And I enrolled in a, in a study from home program because I had two small kids and I knew I had to go back to work full time and I didn't know how I was going to pay for any of this. And, and he let me, you know, we, we put a little something on the credit card. I bought a real camera and it was, yeah, if he hadn't been there to, to say, yeah, try it, try it, go, go see what this is, you know, Mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. huge. So if you can't, I mean, I'm, you know. I've been, I've, I consider myself very lucky 
And I, and I think that if you don't have that in your life, that if you can find that person, somebody who is going to help cheer you on. Right. Well, I believe it's not essential, right? Uh That there are many, many people who have done it on their own Mm -hmm. because people are inherently resilient and strong and capable, right? And they have it within them to do it. And we are stronger with support. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you don't have it, find it in yourself or try to find somebody. Yeah. Yeah. So that's very cool. So you, so you, so you started and then you just went step by step, next right Mm -hmm. step, next right step. And then what happened? Well, I I just want to talk about a strategy, a short term. So I enrolled and didn't pay my fees because the way it works is they'll give you your marks if you don't pay your fees. So during the semester, every week or 10 days or so, I would put a little bit of money on my fees, a little bit of money on my fees, a little bit of money on my fees. And I told myself, well, if it gets to the end of the semester and I haven't paid my fees off, I guess I just won't take my next classes until my fees are paid off always managed sometimes it was a squeak but I always managed to pay my fees off before you know sometimes it was just like a day or two before uh, the marks were being handed out and it was time to register for the next semester fantastic Um, wow that's sheer determination and and so is that why the program ended up taking you what'd you say six years instead of two it's because I did it part time. I had yeah. to do. I had a, a bunch of qualifying credits, but could be admitted. Uh, and the program that I took it was a master's in counseling and spirituality, mm-hmm. and so it has an academic component as well as a practicum, a clinic where you see clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I did all the academic stuff part time as well, uh, and then I did the clinical uh, full time. Uh, my, my life was a full time. Uh, I worked part-time and and went to school full-time to complete the clinical component. That's why it took so long. And you did all this while you had chronic pain. Yes, it was greatly relieved. Um, At a certain point, I uh, started working part-time instead of full-time, and that made a Mm -hmm. difference. Mm -hmm. And then toward the end, I changed jobs altogether um, I went to an inbound call center, uh, international employee assistance program company. Uh-huh. Uh, and of course, because I was not a certified therapist, I couldn't do therapy. I just worked in the call center, what we call triage. So I was still working in the field where clients would call and they would say, here's my problem. And I, as the inbound person would say, we have all these services. Here's the one that's most appropriate for you. Uh-huh. And in the last leg of my work, that was because it was a call center. It was 24 seven, 365. So I worked evenings and weekends there while I finished my school. Gotcha. And that relieved the pain so that the pain was not as intense or acute. Uh-huh. The further I got into the program. Very good. And when, was that a, a call center where you physically went and you were there yeah. at the call yeah. center? Gotcha. Yeah. And yeah. did it require you to sit in front of a computer or were you able to yes. stand or like, so, so you still had the problem of having to sit during a workshop. Yes, but I dictated. So I uh-huh. used voice, voice to text instead oh, of okay. typing. Okay, very good. See, more than one way to skin a cat, right? There are. Yes, there's <laughs> definitely more than one way. <laughs> very cool. Wow. I am blown away. That, that is a lot, a lot of determination 
to make it that happen. It is. And it's funny, you know, I, I, I have friends who have done similar kinds of things. And from here, we look back and we go, how did I ever do that? Like, I still don't really know, you know, how I manage, but, but somehow it happened just yeah. one step at a time. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Yeah. There's a lot of things I look back on that and go, how did I do that? How did I even? <laughs> so once you were done with school, where did that lead you to? Uh, I was really fortunate to be hired by um, a masters, a woman with a master's social worker who was the director of the Assault Response and Care Center uh, about an hour and a half from where I lived. And it's unheard of to get hired at a school in a job like that. But I had, you know, I was not a 20-something. I was 49, I think, at that time. My goal had been to complete my master's before I was 50, and I did it with two years yes. to spare. Um, so I was really fortunate that somebody, and this is the other important thing in my career, was the women, the other women who lifted me up. Uh-huh. For my placement, there was a woman who really had faith in me and said, before I even enrolled in the program, she said, when it's time for your placement, come to me, I will take you and train you. And then I was fortunate again, right out of school, I applied for this job at the Assault Response and Care Center. And this was working with sexual assault and domestic violence. Um, and the woman there, the manager, had faith in me and trained me, really made me who I am professionally today. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was a part-time job and I um, identified the area to which I wanted to move because my strategy was, I had learned from working in an employee assistance company that rural areas are underserved. And I mean, it's a no brainer. We all know rural areas have the services, but mm -hmm. I really saw it. So my strategy was that when I finished school, I was going to move to a rural area and establish my practice there as there was such a demand for service. So I got the work, the job at the Assault Response Care Center, identified where we were going to move to, and we moved. And the next year, I opened my private practice there. And it turns out that I was so, I was fortunately grateful, and, and I'm very grateful for this, accurate in my evaluation of the place I chose, because within two years, so I made another leap out of part-time work with a salary and part-time private practice into, because I hit a wall, my practice was not growing, there was uh -huh. not room for things to happen. I was taking business training. I was making business plans. I was setting strategic goals, all that stuff that right. you're supposed to do in business. And I went to a, a retreat uh, January 1st and 2nd uh -huh. and cried my eyes out through the retreat because it's like all the goals I was setting at this retreat were not possible because I didn't have the time or space in the part-time practice for the practice to grow because the space was taken up by the salary job part-time mm -hmm. that I was working in the agency. Mm. So I kind of, I, this was, this was even more of a leap. I kind of like I metaphorically kind of took a breath in and held my breath and closed my eyes and plugged my nose mm -hmm. and leapt. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So now where, so when you were in the part-time world of doing the salary plus your own practice is that before you moved to the rural community this is no i was in i was I, I i opened my practice in the rural community that was my strategy gotcha and so where were you living where were you living before you moved and then where'd you move to where, where are you so i lived in i lived in canada's capital city ottawa mm -hmm. uh, and that's where we were living before and where i did my program i was at université saint paul 
mm-hmm. at, uh, in Ottawa. And then uh, we moved out to a rural southeastern Ontario area near the town of Smith Falls. Gotcha. And, and so, so sorry, we're breaking up a little bit with um, our, our internet connection. I didn't yes. quite hear the name of, you said it was a region. What was the region? Yes, southeastern Ontario. Southeastern Ontario. Okay, yes. gotcha. So we're about an hour from the New York-Ontario border. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And are you there now? Is that where yep. you live now? Perfect. Yeah. I thought so. And just so everybody knows, that's part. That's probably part of the reason why some of the sound that we're getting at <laughs> is, is a yes. little spotty is because you're in that more rural setting, right? So it's, it's the tougher. rural, yeah, the dilemma of rural living. Yeah. Yes, which is really becoming clear, the, the rural economy and the dependence on the internet and how the infrastructure here doesn't serve, you know, doesn't serve businesses, doesn't serve students and Man, in the COVID it's era really it's really becoming clear. Need, yeah, it's really something yeah. we need to look at. I was talking to my kid um yesterday about how if COVID had happened when we were kids, everything would have shut down. Like how yeah. how would people people couldn't have worked from home? Nope. Uh, kids would have lost maybe a year of school. Yeah. Or or not what what would have happened? Like how different would that be? And then you think about the rural communities and every and the people who who don't have access the way we do in in more metropolitan areas. It, it's yeah. it's really something that I hope we'll look at and figure out as we go forward. Well, and rural students and businesses have really suffered in uh, under the COVID shutdowns um, because of the lack of access to internet mm-hmm. and because, you know, of rural uh, poverty also, mm-hmm. that there are a lot of rural areas have been differentially affected that um, compared to rural, uh, compared to urban. Uh, but we don't really hear much about that, right? Because most of the stories get told about urban people and urban lives and urban economies and I'm very passionate about supporting rural life and rural economies which is part of the reason uh, I chose to move and serve a rural area Um, so I I screwed up my courage and took the leap and went full-time in private practice and within two months was full wow and within a year had so much demand that I decided to take on an associate because when I moved here there was not there was no therapy there was Really, I, there was one other ther in the town where I set up my office. There was one other therapist, and she retired shortly after I opened up. So you 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 saw that need, you took that leap, and bam, your practice is full, and you're taking on an mm-hmm. associate. Very cool. And then we had so much demand. Again, like I say, the community asked for this. Right. I was there. I saw the initial kind of I took I established rurally because I knew there was a need. But then once I was there, like the community rose up and said they, they kind of became the wind under the wings of my business because they said, we need this. We need this. We need this. We need this. And so what could I do but say yes? And so I opened a holistic stress and trauma clinic with a, uh, a group of holistic practitioners, therapists. We had a massage an acupuncturist. Um, I forget when we first started all the different practitioners that we had. Uh, what did because that there look these... like when people were, were 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 saying we need this, we need this? Is there like uh, that's a fascinating? So so did somebody come to you and they were like, Shuli, 
we, you know, is there, is there something more we can do here? Is there something more you can do? Is that what happened? So there are two, I, I got the message kind of two ways. One, just by working with clients, clients would express because the town where I set up my office, everybody would have to go into town for stuff into the big city, into Ottawa. Uh -huh. So, uh, and that's a barrier because it's an hour, an hour and a half, and it's time and money and energy. And if you've got kids and it's gas and whatever. Yeah. Uh, so if you wanted acupuncture or you wanted a massage or any of those kinds of things, uh, this is a very vital community where I had established the office and they had the belief in themselves as a community who deserve to have the same quality and diversity of services as the city had. Mm -hmm. And so I would hear clients talk about this, but then as a therapist, my entrepreneurial journey is unique. Most therapists aren't entrepreneurs. Most therapists don't belong to the chamber of commerce. Don't go to business networking. Don't take business programs. And I was the only therapist operating in the business and entrepreneurial environment, right? That I was showing up at these events and talking to these people. Mm -hmm. And that was the other side of the picture where as a therapist, I showed up there and people were, people just were like, they just would open up and say like, oh my goodness, stress and trauma. We need this. We need that. You know? Mm -hmm. So it came from those two areas that I got the message and decided to respond. Wow. Wow. So you opened up your center and yeah. how long has that been up and running now? We officially opened in November of 2017. Wow. Congratulations. Thank Amazing. You. And so yes. you've got one associate that works with you. It's you and them, or do you have a bigger team? Oh, now? no. We're six now. Six. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is really incredible. Yeah. Congratulations. Man, just what a journey to get there. Thank you. Yeah. Amazing. I'm so proud because, you know, we have a really deep community mandate. And we hold space for free uh, events uh, for the community. We, there's victim services here, which is um, an aspect, uh, a civilian aspect of the police that is called when people are victims of crime or tragic circumstance. Most often that's domestic violence, but it could also be if there's a homicide or a suicide yeah. and victim services. And they're in county seat, which is far away. And so our office houses, for, we contribute our office space to a victim services worker so that they can be in the town where our office is, which increases their ability to reach this town, which nominally they're supposed to serve. But when they're in the county seat, 45 minutes away, people from our town can't get there, especially if you've had a tragic circumstance, like trying to get to Brothel right. is ridiculous, right? Yeah, you don't so, need that extra level of challenge to... No. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, like, it's not only the business, but the folks that I've chosen to work with me, we all have this deep commitment to our rural community and to facilitating access to mental health services, uh, holistic mental health services there. So, uh, and I won uh, the business new business of the year award because i think in large part due to our community mandate wow. so we're very passionate and i'm very proud and grateful to be serving the community in this way that, that's just so incredible to me because i feel like there's such a, a an amazing need for for mental health uh yep availability for people and yep. destigmatization de of yes. of that and 
wow, what a different, I mean, it's such a great community driven model that you've put together to make Mm -hmm. that available. That's, um, there's something there that seems like it needs to go elsewhere. Yes. It's a big, pretty big vision. Yeah. 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 That's like a whole thing. (laughs) I'm just, my mind just kind of went. Um, Yes. Yeah. Wow. 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 And it's been a big, it's been a big vision to hold as an individual. Uh, And I realized that this time last year, so August 2019, and began to make the transition to a team run business so that we all hold the vision together and all contribute to realizing the vision because it just, it was too, it's too big for just one person. Mm -hmm. So now we're in the transition phase of, from me being the solopreneur Mm -hmm. to being a group managed uh, center, holistic center. So that's, that's been a journey too. I bet. Wow. Fantastic. I'm that. what kind of a change has that been? Like how, that's a huge leap to go from, from being so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you honestly, feel more supported personally. Not yet. Not yet. You're still in the transition. Yeah. Because like, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of control. I don't think that control is something negative. I think we all want autonomy uh, and influence over what happens to us and in our world. Yes. Right. And uh, control is the opposite of trauma. Trauma happens when we are done to and we are powerless. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think control is really important. And uh, letting go of the vision and entrusting it into the hands of others. It's like giving somebody your baby. It is entirely like giving somebody my baby. It's the first time, actually, I love that analogy. Thank you for offering that. I can remember, I have one girl, she's 27 now, and I can remember when she was like, I don't know, maybe two or three months old, and the first time we left her with somebody for us to go do something, and I can feel that fluttery feeling in my tummy and that kind of shorts of breath. Even now, I remember that, and this is like that, except it's much more protracted. It's a really long process, Yeah. Right? Yeah, because yeah. you're doing a business structure change. I, yes. Guessing, right? So oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. So much. Oh. <laughs> so it's, a very, it's a very long and I must say painful process. And I think yeah. that it will bear fruit. Like I'm trusting 100%, even though it's painful and long, that it will bear fruit. Because as I said, this vision is far too large for just one person. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just hearing about it from an outsider's point of view – I could totally see how terrifying that would be while you're in the middle of that transition. <laughs> yeah. But also I can see where it could take you and how much growth that can allow for in yes. what you want to do in the bigger picture. Yeah. It's certainly a big, you know, uh, many of the business coaches and teachers with whom I've worked have said that uh, entrepreneurship is also a spiritual journey mm-hmm. uh, or a I'm journey of personal change. So I yes. am definitely finding it to be so. Yes. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm 56 now uh-huh. and there's something about timing of this and the process that is leading to a real um, revelation of what needs to shift 
this is like the second big shift in my life in terms of personal growth, you mm -hmm. know, and this has been the catalyst for it. And I, there's a, there's a real beauty in that, right? It's a kind of breaking down or shedding of skin for the new to come. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 And all the fear that comes with that and all the excitement yep. that comes with that, yeah. <laughs> all that possibility and all, all that. <gasps> but what if, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Wow. And then on top of that, then I know you, you're also, you also have another offering for yes. entrepreneurs. So in the middle of shifting your, your practice, you're taking on a whole other route, right? Yes. Well, it's part of the letting go. Mm -hmm. It's part of allowing the vision to have its own life and allowing the team to create uh, together what they want to see for this holistic stress and trauma center now. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, I'm very passionate about entrepreneurship. I love the business side. I'm surprised, you know, when you go to counseling school, when you take a master's degree, they don't give you any training in establishing your practice. Mm -hmm. But uh, there are two things I knew. One was that uh, uh, mental health practitioners are notoriously bad with money and most small businesses fail within their first year. And I was damned if that was going to happen to me. Isn't that and interesting so that right they don't give you the business, um, the business training. Don't. And I yep. have to say, I find it to be very similar with, um, for, for, for actors, for when you go to school yes. to, um, to become an actor, very often there is just no training on what it actually is to be in the world pursuing a career and what that takes. And, yep. and it is, it, it is learning how to run your own business and yes, the actors and the technical skills at it and yes, yes, awful. And that's, and so now, now that I'm, um, once I took on, I took a very similar leap to you. Um, I was doing full-time work and I was doing photography on the side for many years while I was building my skills and just trying to get better at it. Right. And so it was just a side gig for a long time. And, mm. um, and I was in a job that I was pretty miserable at for a long time. And, uh, and then finally I had the opportunity to, um, to, I found a part-time job and, uh, and I thought, okay, I'll go part-time there. And then I, and I hadn't done anything as far as like the photography business goes with no marketing, nothing that would, it was all word of mouth, literally just like, oh, you did so-and-so's photos, will you do mine? Um, and so I was like, I knew I needed to take that next step. And I had yeah. no business experience, none, you know? And um, so I took this part-time job, which ended up being full-time. <laughs> and, and, and I actually ended up loving that job. And then that job, uh, they did a restructuring and I got laid off oh. and I was like, and again, I was like, oh my gosh. And I, but this time I was like, oh, it's like you said, I'm, I'm going to jump in. And that time I jumped in with both feet and I was like, I'm ready now. I've, I've just, yes. this, it's either do it or don't. And, um, so yeah, so, so that was when I jumped into photography full time and had to start learning how to run a business. And in doing that, I've, like you said, it's a spiritual journey. I have, mm -hmm. it's, it's who you have to become to, to do something you never did before. Yes. yes. Right. 
So yes, I love that. Who you had to become to do what you never did before. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's so much. Quite a process. So I, that was not going to happen to me. So I right away started my business training. And in the course of, and as I said, I was the only therapist who showed up in business circles. And in the course of my exposure to other fellow entrepreneurs, and especially women entrepreneurs, because I'm a woman and very passionate about women in business, I noticed that there was a gap that entrepreneurs don't need therapy. However, entrepreneurship is very hard on your mental health. Mm -hmm. And that what entrepreneurs needed was someone to talk to who got it, who wasn't going to say something stupid like when you're all stressed out and you're confiding in your friend and your friend goes, well, why don't you just get a job? (laughs) or when you're talking about all the things you have to do and the person says well why don't you just take some things off your to-do list and you're like I'm a freaking entrepreneur I can't (laughs) right you need somebody who says yes this is risky yes this is scary and yes you can do it Mm -hmm. because we're stronger with support right entrepreneurs are strong strong competent capable people who are buffeted right? It's hard to ride that emotional roller coaster of running a business. And we're, we're just simply stronger with support. And I saw that. And that's what led me to make this pivot out of therapy and into providing emotional support and helping entrepreneurs create and develop mental health plans so that they, their mental health doesn't suffer as they run a business and that they can be uh, at ease and handle stress well so that they could be chill when the crap hits the fan. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so and what does also it look like when you work with somebody, what does that look like? Uh, twofold. Usually um, there's an emotional component, right? An emotional accompaniment because what happens when we have high emotions is that we uh, lose access to our frontal cortex and the frontal cortex is where all our executive skills, our ability to take in new information, to synthesize, to reason to make decisions like we it's not available to us and this is across the board this is a human thing that happens when we're under stress so as an entrepreneur you need a place where you can regulate your emotions right in company with somebody who knows how to do that who isn't going to say oh you think that's bad you sure what my story is like right which is what friends do and that's friendship but right. that doesn't help you metabolize your emotions and uh, regulate your nervous system so that, and so I accompany people in a way emotionally that enables them to kind of exhale emotionally. And then we look at creating and maintaining a mental health plan. We talk about how do you know, what are your key performance indicators for mental health? What, when it's going wrong, tells you that your stress levels are up. That's a lag indicator. And what do you know ahead of time is going to have over time a negative impact on your mental health? Those are your lead indicators. So for example, some people know that if I don't sleep well, two weeks from now, it's going to be a crap show, right? That's a lead indicator. When my sleep goes off, I know it's telling me in advance that I'm headed down a bad path. So we identify the lag and lead indicators for their mental health and for their stress levels and then develop a plan as a function of those so that they can kind of stay on an even keel regardless of what the business throws at them. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
Very cool. And I think you were, uh, before we started recording, you and I were talking about this new offering of yours and how um, you mentioned, you're you're like, they they don't need therapy. They need support, right? right? Yes. And you also mentioned that what I thought was really interesting is that um, psychotherapy is not tax deductible for a business. It isn't. So what you're offering is actually a business um, solution for them that is 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 a part of keeping a healthy business. Well, you know, we're supposed to have a business plan and every uh-huh. business plan is supposed to have a cash flow forecast, it's supposed to have a marketing plan, and it should also have a, a mental health plan. Because the entrepreneur is the business's key asset. You mm-hmm. wouldn't ignore your assets, you nurture your assets, you pay attention to them who uh, care for them properly and measure them and watch their performance, right? So every business plan should have a mental health plan, but they don't. Very true. Very true. I do not have a mental health plan. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Other than what I do for myself, just my own Mm -hmm. self-care. I mean, I... And that's a... That is a mental health plan, your own self-care. But what happens is that you can get off track. Yeah. Just like anything else, without accountability and without support, or it kind of gets lost in the mix. It isn't a priority anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Very easy to let ourselves off the hook or yes. think we're letting ourselves off the hook. And really what we're doing is not, um, not giving ourselves the support we need. Like, you know, you take, oh, I'll just sleep in today instead of getting up to work out or meditate or whatever. And really all it's doing is undermining. It's like, needing to have, like, if you, I love, I had a a guest on, um, a couple, a few weeks ago, uh, who was talking about commitment Mm. and, and how, if you commit to your spouse that you're going to pick them up at the airport, you're damn well going to get up at four o'clock in the morning and go pick them up from the airport. That's right. Cause they're acting on you. Right. But if it's just you, you're like, Oh, uh, you know, that commitment sometimes I think can be lacking. So if you've got a plan in place, right. And some sort of accountability, I'm guessing that that's part of what you're providing for people. Yes. Yes. We create the plan, but I help them maintain the plan. Right. Right. And I'm working with a coach right now and there's a huge part of the benefit of, of working with that coach has been that I know our call is every two weeks and I know (laughs) Yes. I know I got to check in in two weeks and it's like, yeah. oh, and then, you know, some stuff gets done, some stuff doesn't, but I know at the end of that two weeks, I got to check in and talk to that person and be like, yeah, I didn't quite finish yeah. that thing we talked about, <laughs> you know, yeah. but part of what's really important for entrepreneurs though, is not adding more to the list of things to do. Mm-hmm. And so part of my work is helping people identify what they're already doing mm-hmm. and making the most of what they're already doing. Mm-hmm. And then when they come to me and they say, I didn't do this, I say, well, let's be curious. What was it like not to do it? Mm-hmm. So this is how it's a little bit different from coaching where the coach yeah. is like, okay, you didn't, let's make a plan to do it. Yeah. And I'm going to say to somebody, well, I know you were doing something else. Clearly, it's not like you were sitting around picking your nose all day. You were clearly doing something else. Let's be curious about what else you were doing and what it was like to do that. Right. And why did that take priority over this? And should it? And maybe it should. Yeah. Maybe it's time yeah. to let go of that thing that you should do, right? Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Huge. So it's a very subtle 
you know, it's a subtle way of working. Yeah. Yeah. Some, uh, just a great thing to think about having somebody to come back to and be like, okay, I, I'm checking in with you. Yes. To be self-aware. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, huge. That yes. self-awareness thing. Huge. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, alone, our self-awareness is often pretty shaming and blaming. Mm -hmm. You know, we look at ourselves and we kick our own butts because we think that that's the way to get stuff done. Right. Uh, and actually research shows that people who are self-compassionate perform better on all measures. Mm -hmm. uh, and so part of what I offer for folks is an example of what it's like to be compassionate toward yourself. That question. So let's be curious about what it was like not to do that is actually a self-compassionate way of shining light on things mm -hmm. that doesn't make you bad or wrong for what happened. Mm -hmm. And when you look at it with a, the lens of compassion, it makes room for creativity. Because again, if you're kicking your butt, you're upset, you're, you flipped your lid, your executive function isn't available. So you can't be creative in solving your problems. Right. But when you say, well, let's be curious and we go, oh, let's be curious. It, it opens, it gets you out of the shame and blame game into the compassionate lens and opens the door to creativity, which is entrepreneur's greatest strength. Mm -hmm. is our big picture creative stuff. And why shouldn't we bring that to bear on our own selves? That's Absolutely. our greatest gift to ourselves. Absolutely. It's like mm -hmm. if you were working for a manager who would yell at you in front of other people or, oh, or you know, yuck. take you down. And then in the meantime, as entrepreneurs, that's what we're doing to ourselves in it's our head, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 And how much more free would we be? if we were a little kinder to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> I think I was, I think I was talking to Lou Blazer. When I, was it Lou? I can't who I was talking to. I was like, you know, when I finally went full on self-employed and I was, it, it was, it was a big shift. And I was like, wow, my boss is a bitch. <laughs> like she, Cause I was so down on myself for what yes. wasn't getting done. You know, yes. and in the meantime, there was a lot getting done. Yeah. You don't take the time to, to, sometimes I have to write down what I did just so I can go back on the day and look at it. And yes. Go, oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. I really did do a lot today. Yes. This is an example. Um, I'm glad that you bring it up. This is an example of uh, how I coach people or support people in looking at what they're already doing and how they can make the most of what they're already doing. That to have a done list at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And to contemplate your done list rather than your to-do list. Yes. And sometimes your done list bears no relation to to-do list, but at least it's done. Right. Right. So it's not adding more to your plate. It's actually savoring and making the most of what you're already doing. Yeah. Yeah. Because maybe allowing, maybe allowing for the, for the idea, I try to try to let this idea shine in every now and again that, um, even if I didn't get done everything I wanted to do that day, that those little baby steps that I took, yes, they're enough. Yes, they're enough because because they have to be because that's what is, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> the baby steps are enough. The baby steps are enough. Yes. Yeah. And we know. I like to tell you this. We know they're enough because that's what there is. Mm-hmm. Yep. I have a question for you. What? What do you wish you had known when you started down this path? 
like at that moment when I, I was in pain and decided to go back to school? Some, anywhere in there, anywhere in there. Is there something along your journey where you look at what you did and you think, oh, I wish I wish I had done that differently. Or do you just accept it that it was part of it was part of what needed to happen? Well, something that has come to me recently, uh, in the past couple of years, I've encountered some difficulties in my non-professional life. And the most recent one being COVID, right? And there was like a freak out of of I'm sure everybody went through the same thing where you're like, how am I going to live through this? Right. And this is where my history as a trauma survivor actually is an asset because twice in the past 18 months or so, I've hit really pivotal moments where I was like, how am I going to survive this COVID being the most recent and the ability to look back over my life and look at all the shit that I survived. Mm -hmm. It never turned out the way I wanted it to. It never turned out the way I planned or the way I thought. But nevertheless, I was always okay. Right. I'm getting choked up now just saying this to you. Yeah. And so two, 18 months ago when I hit this thing and then again in March with COVID, to, I, I, I had to, like it's even on my phone. Every morning at 7 o'clock in the morning, my alarm goes off. And the words are, everything always works out for me. And it goes, it's a little song. If you have an iPhone, you might remember, you might know that everything always works out for me. It's a little, (laughs) you know, know, it just so happens that that tune. I don't know. (laughs) It just so happened that that was the alarm tune and it fit the words. And so that if, if I, if I had had that perspective, because it only comes from sitting here and looking back and seeing, because when you're in the moment and stuff isn't working out the way you want, you're like, this sucks. It's all going to crap. It is all going to crap. That's right. Game over, game over. That's right. Yes. (laughs) And the capacity now to turn and look back and go, none of it. I had no, really, I had no say, you know, it, it worked out the way it worked out, but I was okay. I survived. I lived, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, I managed. And I wish that I had the faith that I would be okay no matter what that I've had in the past 18 months to tears. I wish I'd had that, you know, in my 20s and 30s and 40s. Yeah. Yeah. And that I I was going to ask you, like, if there's anything you've discovered about yourself in the process that you didn't know then that that was always there for you. And I think you've already answered the question in a way in that you're the mere fact, I, I'm going to pause it anyway, that, that, be, that you're having been a survivor of trauma actually has helped you. Has that, that's actually served you. Yes, it you has. That going yeah. into, and you didn't know that going into this, right? No, I didn't. And I mean, that's the last thing I would t- say to a trauma survivor. <laughs> like, it's so insulting, right? right. Oh, your trauma is good. It's, it's for your own good. No. <laughs> trauma is trauma is trauma, and it sucks. It's, it's rotten. It sucks. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Right. And there's a post-traumatic growth. And this is what you make of your trauma. After you're healing 
from the trauma itself or traumas, right? Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. next question becomes, well, what do I make of this in myself and my life? And it's, it's, it's a much later phase in trauma recovery. And that's where the gift came for me. It was much later, later in my healing journey that I now have the capacity to see how, it, how that can now serve me. But I think how bad stuff serves you only comes later. In the moment, bad stuff doesn't serve you. It's bad stuff. It's not serving you at all. Right. But you can later say, here's how I'm choosing to have it serve me. Yeah. See the, do you see the distinction? Yeah. And then you... And it's very then important. You, and then you step into being empowered. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. But I would never in a million years to somebody who's in the middle of something because that's right. a terrible thing to say to somebody then. Who could never even process it. No. Right? No, it's, be, it's, 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 it's uh, belittling what they're going through. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There's a time, uh -huh. a proper time. So I, we're going to have to wrap up soon, which I hate to do because I feel like I could talk to you all day about <laughs> forever. this. Forever. I know, right? I want to ask yeah. you before we go, um, two things related. Um, what book have you read in the past that really oh, yes. like blew your mind? And, and what are you reading now? What's, what's on your bookshelf so, or what's on your nightstand? Yes. Um, Sherry Huber's book, There's Nothing Wrong With You, mm -hmm. uh, was a book I read at a time when I was having suicidal thoughts. And it really, like it, it, it's not really overstating it to say that it was a kind of lifesaver then for me. And it's a book I have continued to recommend over the years and still recommend all the time because it is so um, simple and, and profound. Great. I will put that in the show notes for people yes. to, to check that one out. And what I'm reading right now is Hood Feminism. And I forget the name of the author. I'm in an anti-racism learning group with Maisha T. Hill. Uh -huh. And uh, it's called Check Your Privilege. Her program is called Check Your Privilege. And uh, that's the book club book that we're reading. It's called Hood Feminism. H-O-O-D. Hood yes. Feminism. Cool. All right. All right. I have to check that one out too. I've got a, I've got a long reading list. I know. Me too. My <laughs> reading list is so long. Very cool. Oh my goodness. Thank you so, so much for sitting down with me to talk about your journey. I really thank appreciate it. What an it. enriching and fulfilling conversation. Thank oh, you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like I feel the same. I feel the same. Well, there you have it. For anyone who wants to connect with Shulamit or just learn more about her, I will have it all in the show notes for you. So you can just go to latebloomerliving.com slash podcast. And then from there, you can click on the show notes for episode 21. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, did you have an aha moment or a major takeaway or a question or anything at all? Please let me know. I would love to have your feedback. Really really send me an email uh you can send that to latebloomerliving at gmail.com i hope you have a fantastic week stay safe and well talk soon